Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 14 and Part 8 of the Reply Brief. We are back from our holiday break, and this week we heard the breakdown of Jen Pusateri's police interview. I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and we have a lot to talk about. But before we get into the Jen interview, I'm sure we have some housekeeping. (laughs) You did it. You did it, buddy. You got it in there. <laughs> Number a couple things I want to point out before we get in back back to the show. One, congratulations on the one take. We haven't had a one yes. take Zach oh. intro in a long time. Don't That's let this well clap confuse you. Brandon. Yep. Yep. Yeah. This is not the clap, Brand. These new are just year. other claps. Solid. You're new me. Uh and you worked Genevieve in with a straight face. Very straight while face. Janet and I, Janet and I could not keep those in. <laughs> uh very good. <clears throat> All right, now we'll get back to things. Great. I said housekeeping, so that's where we're starting. Right. I don't have any. Um, I figured, I didn't know if you want to talk about the time moving or. Okay. Yeah. The only housekeeping we have is for those of you that like to join us live for the taping of our Friday follow-up on YouTube. We have some scheduling stuff coming up over the, the next several, several, probably a couple months, right? For you. Yeah. And then for Janet, she's got, uh, how long does Sketchfest go on? For us, I think it'll just be. Three weeks of a slightly different change. I'll be in. I'll be up there for three weeks. Yeah. So next week we will be recording the follow up as usual on Tuesday evening, which will be streaming on YouTube at eight p.m. Eastern time. The following week and for at least the next three weeks after that, we'll be recording live on YouTube on Wednesdays at one p.m. Eastern time during the day. And that's the only time when the three of us can get together. And after that, we'll have to figure things out because Zach's, Zach's coaching wrestling in the evenings and we'll just have to figure out our schedules and make all that stuff work. But for the next four weeks, next week normal, and then three weeks of Wednesday afternoon. And that only affects you at all if you like to um, join us live on YouTube when we're doing the recordings. So if you're just, if you just listen when the audio drops, then none of that matters. Uh, it won't matter to you at all. And uh, other than that, I think that's the only housekeeping we have. We appreciate you guys putting up with us taking holiday breaks for our family we just spent an hour in our our pregame show talking about all the all the fun we had how what a terrible euchre player zach is uh and what a good euchre player his wife is so we were talking in the pre pregame hour that i remember recording like parts two and three at the same time that i are putting out those that you were hearing at the same time i was recording parts eight and nine 
of the prosecutor series. I remember, I think I'm telling you, like, I can't wait until you get to these parts. And the reason for that is the the state's case is built around Jen and Jay's interviews, Mm -hmm. their narrative. And so I've been waiting for for those of you that have not followed this case for years, like Zach, who are really like getting their inauguration into this case throughout this series. This is where the rubber kind of meets the road. Where we're hearing like this is how Adnan was arrested and convicted. Where these two interviews we started with Jen, and there were there were kind of two major elements of this case. And I haven't had time to review the questions, so I don't know if these get touched on or not. I, obviously, one of them will. So it's not only Jen's interview, but the big point that's made by the prosecutors that we talk about quite a bit in this episode is, was Jen's interview the first interview with police? And that really is the make or break with this case. Now, if you're really analyzing the evidence and you've been keeping up and paying attention, you know that like the timeline already doesn't work. Like we we already know the Nisha call can't be the Nisha call. We already know that you can't be calling... Yasser at Woodlawn at seven o'clock and be burying Hay at seven o nine. We already know that that those things don't work. For, but for the people that want to ignore all those facts, it really comes down to: Did Jen independently walk in and give this story before the police ever talked to Jay? I agree with the prosecutors. If that's the case, that's pretty wild. Like it's it's hard to imagine that that is what happened because she had her mother and her lawyer with her. You wouldn't think that they would be letting the police lead her into a story. And so if the story kind of was guided by the police prior to this, then that that would mean Jay would have had to have talked to the police prior to this. Because because Jen, very clear in this interview, everything she's telling us in this interview is stuff Jay told her. It all came from Jay. Other than the two things she experienced were the pickup and Jay wiping down the shovels, even though she says she never saw any shovels. She just says that she took him back and he wiped shovels down. So a a big part of the discussion, I think, needs to be the evidence that we talked about that Jay did, in fact, talk to the police before. Because on the Patreon series right now, I'm working on the final episode this week for part 14. And that is kind of the, you know, they state there, there's no evidence that Jay talked to the police before Jen. Mm-hmm. And I tend to disagree. So before we get too deeply into that, J- Janet, do we have questions about that element of it? Yeah, we definitely have questions that touch on that. If there's anything we feel like we haven't covered, let's circle back at the end and just make sure we revisit all of the evidence that you talk about in the episode itself. Okay, that sounds good. And uh, so so let's kind of start out with Zach. This is the first you've really heard the details of what Jen said. What did you take from listening to both episodes? What was your takeaway? Well, again, for the listeners that don't know, I, I listen to the prosecutors first and then listen to your episodes. So I, I try to be very open-minded and go in. And and the prosecutors, I mean, they did a very good job of making me feel that that this was truthful, that Jen, I mean, like you said, Jen came in with her mother and her lawyer. They make a big deal about Jen coming in with her mother and her lawyer. And that you know, there's no way the police would have led her through this story from her mother and her lawyer are there. Mm-hmm. So that makes me believe that this is all very truthful. In the timeline that, that's being portrayed, it's coming first, that she's coming forward, she's saying this. It's a little strange that, that it changes so quickly, it feels like, in the timeline. that you know, It's like literally like one or two days that she goes from like, I don't know, to now I've got a lawyer with me and I'm going to spill all these beans. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize either that the recorded interview we have from Jen was her fourth interaction with the police in 24 hours. So they they came to her house 
and they wanted to talk to her. You know, that was when, you know, they identify her by her name. They say they're looking for Jen Pusateri. She says she's busy. She'll talk to him later. That's the first interaction. Then she goes down to the police station, gives an interview where the interview notes say that she essentially told them she doesn't know anything. Then the next morning, they actually, and, I, and if I remember correctly, the prosecutors kind of mixed this up a little bit, but they actually went to the attorney's house. And there was, I think they mentioned this, but there, and, and I've never really gotten into it because there's just, there's nothing you can prove here, but, but just to have it all out there, the attorney was, I believe, McGillivary's neighbor. Yeah, there's so a question about have, that in here. Is there? Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I, I don't remember all the details about it because I never dug too deeply into it because evidently that's true, that it's the neighbor of one of the detectives where they went and met. And then, of course, people say, well, that's, you know, it must have been mcgillivary getting his buddy to come because it's a little odd that on a you know that quick you're able to boom boom get an attorney right there without a consultation first or anything like that it is a little odd but i don't i don't know you you can't do anything definitive with that that just that's just a thing that is Hmm. but they met at the attorney's house and they had an interview there that was not recorded that was the third interaction then they went to the police station and then they recorded the interview that was the fourth interaction with jen okay so to your point, she went from the night of the 26th saying, I don't know anything. They continue to say that that you know, we don't know if she talked to Jay or not in between those. It literally in her interview, she says, I talked to Jay last night and then came and talked to you. Like they went and they had a, she had a conversation with Jay about this. She says Jay told her to go talk to the police. That's why she went. And then she goes in and gives this story. The the one thing they talk about a lot is that the story is very believable and it's consistent with other stories, mainly the main story that's being told. And they, they say that that's a big reason why it's believable, which again, leads me to believe it's believable. Alice brings up a good point that you can have an alibi, whether you're innocent or guilty, when she's talking about Adnan trying to come forward and talk about an alibi, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Again, kind of playing both sides of the defense there. Yeah. But once we get into yours is really where you you discuss the idea that Jay has possibly been questioned three times by police, which I think is very interesting. We don't know for a fact that he was questioned, but it definitely seems like there's evidence that he was questioned beforehand. I, I think in the episode, the way I put it was it's bordering on indisputable in that you have his boss saying on two occasions, the police came and picked him up and took him down for questioning. She asked him. Was it about the, you know, or he told her whatever that it was about that murder prior to this. And you have the fact that why would they go to Jen first and not Jay if his is the first number on the, and it was the first number on the call log. Mm-hmm. That's very compelling. Yeah. And then you have, I think I played the clip of Christy saying that the weirdest part about it was they walked up and supposedly they don't know shit about shit. And they have a call log that says the, this number that was called was the landline for Anthony Pusateri and they walk up and say, I'm looking for Jen Pusateri. Yeah. How would they know they were looking for Jen if they hadn't talked to Jay? So that's, you know, that's a big part of it. But to me, the most compelling part about the whole thing is then when Jay's telling the story and and Jay's like defending himself, you know, and, and and trying to say that er that everything he said in the story is true. But when, when he's going through his experience, he himself says, they kept talking to me and talking to me and talking to me and they wouldn't stop interviewing me. And I, and I would tell them a little bit and then I would change it and I, I wouldn't give them much information, but they kept interviewing me, kept interviewing me. And then after they interviewed Jen, then Jen's like, well, I already talked to him. So you might as well talk to him. Then he talked to him. So See, like, for you, me, you that's could, like the least compelling thing. 
Because I because he's lied about everything else. Yeah, yeah like but, I, but, I sort of I, put that aside. I'm like, okay, let's. I gotta put all of what Jay says aside and look at what other people have said and what the the rest of the evidence shows, which shows that. Yeah, I I, I should be more clear for the side that believes Adnan's guilty and that this story is true. I don't know how they ignore Jay saying that he talked to them over and over and over well, again. Well, he's lying about that, but he's telling the truth about the basic story. Yeah, the basic story. So in Jen's actual interview, not what's been on this podcast, what's been on your podcast, just in, in Jen's interview, just in general, there's a couple of things that stick out to me that I just kind of find strange. Like the idea that Jen goes and meets him, picks him up at the mall after all this is done. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately confesses, I mean, like immediately confesses to Jen, but then doesn't want to tell his girlfriend, Stephanie, anything to do with it, which I find that's a little strange to me. Right. Like, I understand that they're friends, but I feel like you're going to tell your significant other. I mean, I guess I don't know how long they've been partners. I don't know anything about it. Since but it, elementary school. But it's strange that that he doesn't want to tell Stephanie anything about it. Mm-hmm. The idea that they want to go back to the dumpster. Jen says very adamantly, it seems like that she she does not know if Jay had anything to do with it. Right. She's only relaying what Jay told her. And Jay says he didn't have anything to do with it. But then they go back to the dumpster so he can possibly wipe his prints off a shovel, even though he's told her that he didn't commit the murder, he didn't help hide the body, he's only seen the body. Mm-hmm. So why is he wipe? I don't understand why he's going back to wipe prints yeah, off. Definitely questions about that too, Zach. You're not and, alone. And then the idea, the idea that like the next day or whatever it was when they got rid of the clothes. Again, if he's not part of this, then why is he getting rid of his clothes from that night? And why is she saying... That I don't know if he's involved. Yeah. All good questions. You know, and to me, I try to narrow things down to like, okay, like anything Jen says that is because Jay told her, Jay probably told her or could have told her. Mm-hmm. None of that means it's true. We already know Jay's lied and he told all these different stories. So I'd really try to narrow in on well, what things did she say that she experienced? And the big one is she picked him up that night. And that one thing she says that she did. She gets completely wrong. Well, one of them, they can't tell the same, they can't get the same story right. And it's not like it was Security Square Mall and the other one said it was Westview Mall. It's Jay says Adnan dropped me off at home and he left. And then a little while later, Jen came and picked him up. And then Jen says, I met him at the mall. I was sitting there waiting for them. And Adnan and Jay pulled up. I talked to Adnan. Well, see, at this point, I don't know any of that. Yeah, I guess I haven't brought that up yet. So like, like one thing she experienced, you'll hear in the next episode. They get they completely different. They happen in different places with different people and completely different circumstances. Okay. And then the, the the shovels even is, is slightly different. They both say that they return to put some shovels away. But even that, like even logistically, it, it's hard to imagine. Take me back. I have to wipe the fingerprints off these shovels. But they don't pull up to the shovels. Like he has her park in a place where she can't see what he's doing in her story. Mm-hmm. And then he walks away and disappears. And comes back and says that he wiped off the shovels that he supposedly never, t- you know, the whole thing is just, it, 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 it's, it's hard. Like the only time where we get actual experiences from her, it doesn't line up. So just before we get any further, there's a lot of phone calls in her story. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that I'm, I'm going to, a lot of people are going to yell at me for this, but like, are there pings that match up to any of these calls or all of these calls or do we know? I mean, for a fact that any of these calls actually happened. It, it seems pretty clear there that, that she's looking at a call log, too, because she's trying to account for calls just mm. like Jay is. Okay. But one thing that is interesting that we've never really gotten into, and I think there, I think I did see a question come through about this, so I'll, I'll wait on to get it in depth. But so the story she tells about how when she gets home, she gets home around 1230 or one o'clock, and then 
she's there first and then Jay gets there also is very different from what happened. You'll hear in the next episode about Jay calling her to tell her not to bother to pick him up. And I think she did tell a version of that story too. Those calls at 1207 and 1241 are to her landline. In in both cases, she says she's not home. She's at work at 1207. So this is another thing that doesn't fit. Like they see a number on there and they're, and they're like, yeah, then he called me and then he did this. But then you look like even that story doesn't work. You can't call her to tell her not to pick you up while she's at work on her landline. It, it doesn't work. But we'll get into more of that coming up. But you can really see how hard that would be. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's sort of interesting. An interesting takeaway from this whole process is when you really think about how hard it would be to be a person who doesn't know anything and to be presented with just a call log, which we all know just, you know, at first blush, it's just like, this is just a bunch of numbers and time. Yeah. None of this means anything to me. I can't tie this to any memory. I can't. This is just numbers. And then to try to make it make sense, like, that's a really tough thing to do well if it's not true or if you don't know why it's important. That's a perfect opportunity to just get all kinds of stuff wrong that you just wouldn't be thinking about it on those terms. Whereas we, the armchair quarterbacks or whatever, are able to go, hey, but this doesn't make sense and this doesn't make sense. Like, well, it's not surprising that in the moment you're not you, you can't put all of those pieces together because you're just working off almost nothing, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, so this gets brought up in the closing episode again that I'm working on for Patreon right now. But, you know, they make a big deal about how the if the cops were going to do this, they do this frame job, they would have they would have made a story that worked. And it's like, first of all, as I've said over and over again, they couldn't make a story that works because there isn't a story that works. The call log alibis Adnan without question. It, it, it proves that he couldn't be where he needed to be at times when he needed to be there to kill Hay. But they're like, you know, they, they would have come up with something that was better. So besides the fact that there wasn't a good story there. The fact is, we're all looking at this in an era where citizen detectives will take a case like this and look at every call and look at every ping and use drive times and tower locations and all that stuff and analyze every. No one was doing that back then. No one did that in this case. Like the Nisha call, for example, it could not be more obvious that the Nisha call was impossible to be the call that Jay described it as being. It can't be. And that's that's not even an opinion. It physically it's not possible. No one did that math back then. All they know is Jay said that Adnan called Nisha and then put him on the phone and they were together. And then Nisha's like, I remember a time when Adnan called me and put Jay on the phone. Like they didn't even catch that they, they, you know, in a world where you just have this attorney working on this case amongst a bunch of other cases, like that looks like it fits. They don't even catch that. She says they were going into the porn store where Jay worked and the fact that Jay didn't work at the porn store until weeks after this murder. Like, nobody caught those things. So you have to keep that stuff in mind that no one in 1999 expected that in 2024 that there would be a million people looking at this and figuring out that it doesn't work. Absolutely. And you've also said this before, but it did work. It did. Right. Like, no one would come up with something better. It did work. And part of that, I think, remains the same issue that we have today, which is you give police a tremendous benefit of the doubt. And you certainly did more then for the same right. kinds of reasons you're talking about in terms of citizen detectives and all that. It's certainly true of that time that like you were even less inclined to think, well, a cop wouldn't like just put this together because it helped them in some way, you know? So yeah. uh, you're also willing to overlook a bunch of stuff, even if it did strike you because you'd be like, well, a cop wouldn't do that. Why would they? The interesting part about it is that, you know, the way 
you hear me make reference to this repeatedly throughout the season is because in their final episode, they, they, they call it the basic story, right? They say, well, well, Jay and Jen told a basic story that basically fits the cell phone evidence. That's how Brett and Alice look at it now. But when you look at it, like that's exactly how this happened was that's how everyone looked at it then. Yeah. You know, again, I'll, I'll reference back to the, to the Nisha call. Jay says this call happened with this girl from Silver Lake. And look here, we see in the call log, there was a call from Silver Lake and the girl from Silver Lake says a call like that happened. That's a basic story and it fits. Everything makes sense. Nobody was looking at the details. No one was questioning that these officers until years later when they kept getting their convictions overturned because they were doing shit like this. Like you said, back then, why would a cop lie about that? Why would they fabricate something like this? Now we know that it was kind of common occurrence for them. Right. Not just them, but a lot of cops in Baltimore at that time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In the podcast, in, in your episode of the podcast, and I cannot remember the, the individual's name, but you play a clip from the documentary. And and the individuals discussing talking to Jay and Jay says that he got busted with a bunch of weed, mm-hmm. and this is why he turned on he that he was trying to give them something bigger to kind of get away from himself. Yeah, and that's why he ratted on Adnan. Why does he rat on Adnan at that point? Was Adnan a suspect at that point? Like, how did he know to go for Adnan? Like, I, I, that's what I just don't understand. If he got busted with marijuana, and he's going to tell this huge story fabricated or not on Adnan, like if it's not fabricated, I guess I get it. But if it's, I I just don't understand where it comes from. Like, how did he know to tell them about Adnan? So we will never know unless he tells us Mm -hmm. the way I've always assumed that went is they did what they said they did. Once they got Adnan's phone records, they went to the call log and they went to the first number that was on the call log, which was Jay who has a record and all this stuff. And so they go pick up Jay to talk to him about this, and that's when they catch him with weed. Because they're already looking at Adnan. The only reason that yeah. they talk to Jay is that the—and I'm shouting out Carrie— 
in the live is that they have reason to think that Adnan is someone they should be looking very closely at. So that they're already positioned to be like, tell us about Adnan. Yeah. So that's I, I think that so the anonymous call comes in on February 1st that says to look at Adnan. That's when they start pulling his phone records, all this stuff. And then I think once they get the phone records, they're like, all right, well, first one, Jay, we just had Jay Wilds in here a few weeks ago. He was arrested. Let's go pick him up. And they go pick him up. And sure enough, he, you know, he sells weed. So he's got a bunch of weed on him. And so then they start putting pressure on him about the weed and Hayes murder. And mm-hmm. he's like, it wasn't me. He did it. But again, that's that's one version of so many versions of Jay's story. So it's hard to know if even that's true. I mean, that's the story that he told his ex-girlfriend when she called him, you know, she, when, when she called him, it was kind of on the, that's why we don't hear his voice because they didn't tell him they were calling him for the, for the documentary. She just called them on her own and then they couldn't record it. They couldn't use the recording. They had to have her, you know, say what Jay had said. I do have one clarification that a listener sent me from a past episode because I asked the question to you and the listener's name is Amy Harper and she sent me the transcript from episode two of Serial, where Adnan is discussing the idea that that Hay would not go anywhere after school. She would, and, and it states that she would not go to McDonald's. She would not go to Seven Eleven. I mean, it's it's all in the transcript, so it, it really was there. It's in the defense notes. Yeah. Um, there's a link to it, all that good stuff. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I I had somebody somebody on our Facebook page point that up too, and I kind of forgot about. it. I meant to put it into housekeeping, but yeah. So I I was incorrect about that. I thought that. Not that it was a big deal either way, but I thought that was just Brett expounding on what Adnan had said. But he did actually say exactly. Well, I think Brett said Burger King instead of McDonald's, maybe, or you did one over in the in the. Episode. I, I may have said Burger King. Um, so, yeah, he did say no, no, that's not right. I wouldn't got a ride from her. She wouldn't do anything after school. She wouldn't go to McDonald's. She wouldn't go to Seven Eleven. She wouldn't do whatever. So yeah. So just to be clear, I was wrong about that. It is exactly what she said. That wasn't something that Brett added on to what Adnan had said. Okay. Well, I'm glad you guys clarified. Thank you. Yep. And uh, with that, I think we can get right into these questions. Okay, great. And we may revisit some of the stuff that we've talked about, but I just want to give some shout outs to listeners, even if we've kind of addressed some of it. But Mary says, I would like a clarification of the timeline. When was Jay arrested for resisting arrest? I believe he was with Jen at that time. Did the police have the cell phone records then? They did not. So he was arrested on January 26th. Yeah, that's right. Because that's... um, I think I'd covered this in a previous episode that Brett and Alice point out that the only other time the phone pinged the tower that covered Leakin Park was the next day on January 27th. And there's this whole series of Jay's friends being called. And their theory on that is clearly Adnan heard that Jay had been arrested the day before and was going back to make sure the body was still there and calling Jay's dealer who lives right there covered in co- with that same tower covering it and then calling Christy and calling Jen, all of that. Personally, I, as I pointed out before, it seems pretty clear to me. Adnan's a track practice. Jay has his car and phone, and Jay's going to Patrick's to get weed, and that's why he's over there again. But anyway, that's how I remember. So that was the 27th that he was actually picked up on the night of the 26th, January 26th, and they did not have the cell phone records at that point. I don't think Adnan was really even a high-priority suspect at that point. It wasn't until the anonymous call came in. And also keep in mind, Hay's body hadn't been found yet at that point. Okay, great. Caroline says, the presence of the lawyer and mother at Jen's interview are a nagging loose end for me. It's hard to imagine an 18, 19-year-old not just lying to the police, but bringing a lawyer and parent into that scenario and lying to them, too. We talked about this a little bit. In my opinion, Caroline says, this only leaves two reasonable paths. Jay fed Jen a story that she actually believes and that she supplements on her own or at his request. 
with the mall gloves shovel, or Jen is being cut a deal, maybe in exchange for dropped charges for the mystery incident with Jay, and the lawyer slash mom knew about it. I just can't believe a lawyer would sit there and let his client incriminate herself without making a peep or ensuring she will not be prosecuted. He literally has one job. And if there was a deal, it should have been disclosed. Would love to hear other thoughts about this incredibly weird situation. Yeah, it, it is weird. I, I tend to believe exactly what the listener there just said is, I think that Jen believed the story that Jay told her. I don't I don't I don't think that Jay person this is and, and again, this is one of those you can you're gonna have to figure out for your own what you believe. I have not believed that Jay told Jen, hey, they're trying to arrest me for this. So I'm making up the story. None of it really happened. But you need to go talk to the police. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think that adding on to the things we were talking about earlier, how Jen said when she goes to talk to the police, she's like, I don't know anything. They're asking her about this murder. She doesn't have a clue at that point about any of that stuff. And that's when she said that the police seemed like they had talked to somebody else because they were, you know, it seems to indicate they were asking her some leading questions about this story that supposedly no one had told them yet. But that night, I think she she told the police she didn't know anything because she didn't know anything. And then she goes and talks to Jade to figure out what's going on because of the things they were saying to her in that interview that she she now knows. They think Jay's a part of this. She goes and talks to Jay, and then Jay tells her this story and says, "Just go tell him this. Tell him, tell him all this stuff. This is this is what happened. The one thing he needed her to tell them is that he told her that night. Is my guess, right? But you you can't tell them that I just told you about this. Now you need to tell them that I told you this that night. And so then the pickup has to happen, and she adds that stuff in. Of course, they get it. They both get it wrong, or they they don't they don't get it the same. As far as the lawyer sitting there. It's weird. Someone on Facebook had pointed this out, and I went back there and reread this, the transcript to see. So they're like, did her lawyer say a word? Hmm. And he, I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. I don't remember. Doesn't say a word. Not once where they're like, ah, don't answer that question or answers for her. Like the lawyer is evidently in the room, but we never, ever hear from that lawyer at all. And it's a weird thing because. It's not super cut and dry, but they certainly could have prosecuted. With the story she told, she told the story that said that after this happened, she took Jay to wipe the shovels down and that she concealed this. They certainly could have made a case for accessory after the fact for that. Wouldn't have been a real easy case to make and likely no one would ever would go after it. If she's just like, I had nothing to do with this, but I'm going to be the one that's going to tell you that this is what happened. There are so many odd things in this case, and that's certainly one of them. The way I've always imagined it went down was exactly like I said, she doesn't know anything. She goes, talks to the police, tells them I don't know anything. But then they're like talking about Jay. And then she goes to Jay and she's like, what the fuck is going on? These they're they're asking me about you and Adnan killing this girl. What the hell? Jay tells that story and tells her just to go talk to the police. I can imagine this going down like this. She then goes to her mom and is like, look, you know, Jay told me all this stuff happened. I picked him up that night. I need to go tell the police this and her mom's like, all right, well, we need to get a lawyer if you're doing this. Even the stuff about the pickup and stuff could be something as simple as, you know, she expanded upon the story a bit to her mom and now she's already said it to her mom and now her mom's sitting there and her lawyer, I, I don't know how all that went off. So that's, I want to ask you a question. Uh, the question me to you about this is the idea that she goes and talks to Jay and Jay tells her the story and she believes this story. Mm -hmm. That's why she's going to the police. If this is strictly being told by Jay, what is the value of adding that fabrication at the end of 
driving and wiping off the finger. I, I don't understand the value of that fabrication. Because it, because it now makes her a material witness, right? So if all she did is go in and say, Jay told me all this stuff, she she's not adding anything to the story. She's not adding anything to the credibility, none of that. Because the reason they need her for credibility is because all they have is Jay telling the story. If what she adds is, well, Jay also told me the story last night. That does it. So there, there has to be something that she actually witnessed, partake, partook in, or, or that she has some kind of, and we even get, like, she says that she told some other person about it at a bar or, or mentioned mm-hmm. it. But, but then I, I don't know if I meant, I, I don't think I mentioned in this episode, or maybe I do, but weirdly, they never go talk to that person and go find it out. Mm-hmm. We also never hear from Stephanie. We never, like, like anybody that could confirm, like you were asking about Stephanie earlier, what are the odds you wouldn't say anything to Stephanie? Mm-hmm. Personally, I think he probably, probably told Stephanie what happened. Meaning that he's been coerced into this situation because the police go talk to Stephanie. They don't record it. They only put down some notes and then we never get to hear anything in Stephanie's own words. She never testifies at trial. She's just like this black hole in the case. Like, why wouldn't they put Stephanie up at trial? Surely she must have heard something from Jay along along the way or even if she didn't hear anything. But nobody ever puts her up on the stand. So we never hear anything from her. We never hear anything from the guy that Jay supposedly told the story to. Before all of this, we never hear from the the girl that Jen supposedly told it to before this. They never interview any of those people. They, they're not doing the things you would do to verify a story that you think is actually true. Or they do, but it doesn't go their way. So they, quote, don't do it like that's bad evidence. So I don't see a reason why, if everything else we're talking about is possible, that you wouldn't make a note that you're going to do that. Talk to that person. That person says that never happened. And you just kind of quietly throw away your note. As though about, you never, as though to you them. never talk to them. Yeah, because weirdly, they're like on the list. There, there's a to do list in the case file, and those people are on the list of people to interview, but they supposedly never interviewed mm. them. And I may be speaking out of turn here. This is something I should, I will circle back on and get back to next week. But I want to say that there's even something like one of them's like crossed off. Like mm. they did go interview the person, mm-hmm. but then we don't have the interview for her or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's just another one of the weird things. That's not, that's certainly not outside the realm of possibility based on a lot of other stuff that happens. And just to circle back on what you were saying about why it would be important or why Jen would say those things when you say it's important for her to be a material witness, the suggestion there is not that Jen understands that, but perhaps more, and tell me if I'm wrong, perhaps more that during those pre-interview interviews, that there could be something said by the police, such as, well, you know, unless you saw something yourself, I mean, unless you, you know, saw the shovels or unless you da da da, I don't know that we can believe anything you're saying or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like she wouldn't know that she needs to. And the same with that, you know, well, I don't know, Jen, did any did you tell anyone else about this? It would be really be helpful if you told someone else about this so that we can corroborate it. Like, do you think that they were the ones who were sort of implanting not necessarily because they wanted her to lie, but because that's what police officers do when they're accidentally soliciting false confessions. When they're like, well, if you tell me that you heard the gunshot, then I've got something to work with and you're a good witness. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. I, gotta, I did hear the gunshot, you know, like, what do you? I, I think it could be that for sure is a possibility. And then I also think it could be Jay telling her, like telling her this story and then like I said, as far as I'm concerned, it's damn near indisputable that Jay had been having multiple conversations with police prior to this and had told some version of a story. Imagine this, right? Imagine Jay is trying to talk his way out of this thing, right? And trying to pin this thing, pin it on Adnan. He's like, yeah, and then we, and then we went and we buried the body and then, uh, and then, and then yeah, and then we ditched her car. Okay. And then they're like, well, then 
what'd you do after that? Oh, we went, well, how'd you do that? Uh, Jen picked me up. You know, if somewhere in that story, Jay has said, Jen picked me up. Then so now when Jay's talking to Jen, he's like, okay, you got to tell her. And, and and I've always personally believed that, you know, through those conversations, I, I think that Jay's telling the story and the police are not believing him. At least he thinks they're just not believing him because they think he did it mm-hmm. at this point. I think what's really happening is they know his story is bullshit and doesn't work. And again, they've done this on multiple other occasions with other cases. They're like, we've already got our guy. We just need this witness to give us a story that works. And he's not doing that. And so they keep pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to give us something that works. And then they're like not believing him. And he's and Jay's like, well, just ask Jen. Go talk to Jen. She'll tell you. And then it's talks to Jen. It's like, yeah, you know, this is what happened. Da, 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 and you need to tell him you picked it. I told them you picked me up that night and we, and we threw the shovels. I think that's why that detail gets so wrong. Because I think that that was like at the end of it, him saying, yeah, oh, yeah. And I told him you picked me up. So, you, so remember, you picked me up. And then, and then I had to wipe shovels. I had to wipe fingerprints off the shovels behind the mall. And I think, she, you know, then she goes in the interview and is like, yeah. So I picked him up at the mall and we wiped sh- the shovels off. That's not the version of the story Jay had told. Jay's telling that, you know, th- that she picked him up at home or so. I th- that to me is a, is, a, is a reason why this might get messed up. And I know I said this before, but I want to clarify this again. What we're talking about with Jen. In this uh, in this episode, in this interview, it would sound conspiratorial in a vacuum. I'm just listening to us talk about this and it's like, oh, there's all these excuses and reasons and da, 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 da. I want to acknowledge that in a vacuum, it would be. But this is building on top of other work that we've done that already shows us that Adnan is at the beginning of track practice talking to Coach Sai and walking around the track with him after he's done stretching. When we already know that the Nisha call is impossible, when we already know that the 709 call to the burial that she's going to talk about in this interview, we already know that's impossible, proven without question. So I I just I just want to reiterate that, that when we're talking about why would Jen do this, a, a big part of the reason for that is we know for a fact the story she's telling is not true. It cannot be true. And that's why we're having the conversations about, well, then why did she tell it? And maybe I'm splitting hairs and maybe that's not making any sense to anybody. But for, for, to me, that matters. That's Absolutely. different than just being like, than just being like, well, I think my guy's innocent. So I don't want this to be true. So here's a bunch of reasons why it's not true. Right. It's because we know the story's not true. And therefore, now we want to know why. I think that makes perfect sense and is important. Absolutely. Laurent says kind of on the same lines. We sort of know the answer to this, but Lorana's saying, seeing as Jen wasn't charged with anything, do we know if she received or negotiated a deal with the lawyers or law enforcement in exchange for testimony corroborating Jay's story? Is there any way to even find out or would it be sealed? It wouldn't be sealed. It would be hidden, if anything, and not disclosed. But I don't think so. I think I think that her involvement was so limited in that version of the story. If anything, it was them to be like, look, we're not interested. It's, for example, how many different cases and how many different interviews have we heard? Think back to season 12. Where the police are like, were you guys smoking pot? Listen, we don't care about smoking pot. We're not after teenagers smoking pot. We're trying to solve a murder. So I need to know the facts of this. At that time, smoking marijuana in California was illegal. They confessed to a crime they could be charged with. They didn't have paperwork from the DA. They didn't have immunity. They just had the cop tell them, like, listen, that's not what we're worried about. And then true to their word, they didn't charge anybody with any of that stuff. So I think that it would probably be more like that, you know, where they're just like, 
we're not worried about you picking Jay up that night. We're not worried about you giving him a ride to do something. We just need to know who who committed this murder. That's what I think mm. is what happened. I don't think there I don't think there was some grand deal. This would be such an unlikely case to to be prosecuted for Jen to be charged in this situation. Again, particularly when she is the one supposedly coming forward and finally telling the truth that they'd be like, oh, now we're going to, you know, because you gave the guy a ride and didn't tell anybody about it. Now we're going to charge you with it. It's just unlikely. Mm -hmm. Laura says, was Jen's lawyer, we talked about this as well, was Jen's lawyer a neighbor of one of the detectives? Was the lawyer a criminal lawyer or a real estate lawyer? Do we know how Jen obtained the lawyer? Didn't she obtain them over a weekend? I would think her family wouldn't have easily and quickly obtained a lawyer without some sort of recommendations unless they had been in trouble with the law before. I, I don't know. The, I, I've heard people say that this, that have done some background on this attorney, that, that it was like a real estate attorney. And like I mentioned earlier, I've, you know, it seems to be verified. He lived in the same neighborhood as one of the detectives. You know, I, I don't think it was like next door neighbors, but like in the neighborhood or something like that. It's weird, right? They didn't meet at the law office. They didn't meet at the police station. They like the cops and Jen and her mom all went to the lawyer's house and just sat in their personal house and had this conversation. It's one of those things is like, it just, it like sticks in your craw, but I can't let, you know, I can't be like, so that means this. I don't know what that means. I just know it's fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lynn says, did Jen ever comment on any advice or instruction her lawyer gave her? Or did that person just occupy a chair during the interview? At least during the recorded interview, they appeared to just occupy a chair. We never hear them say anything. There, there's never like Jen like referring or asking a question or anything like that to the attorney. She's just talking. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Martina says, did Jen testify at both trials and was her testimony the same at both? Did the police ever pull records for Jen's home phone? She did testify at both trials. I don't think there was any not notable differences between the two. Nothing that's sticking out at me. But no, they didn't pull her home phone. I mean, there's there's so many questions in this. Everybody like says like the 70 or the, the 701 call was to Jen's pager. I've never seen anywhere and maybe it's in there and I just have missed it. But like when I was going through phone records a long time ago, I remember like who verified that's Jen's pager number or is the only reason that we know it's Jen's pager number because Jay said it was Jen's pager number. Like I never saw where the police like pulled her pager records. They never pulled her home phone records. You know, the, the story is everybody talks about the which call is which. Well, you know, you know Jen and in her interview makes it sound like the call might have come into her landline, the come get me call. With no explanation of how Adnan would have her phone number because he'd never called her before or anything like that. And then, and you'll hear it in a couple, I can't wait for you to get to these next two episodes, Zach. 
Because when you watch the wild ride that is Jay Wild stories. Oh, boy. And so in the first interview, it's pretty clear that they have, like, the phone record. And, and they, they've, you can tell they've kind of workshopped, like, there was a call around this time and this time. And Jay's kind of hitting some bullet points. But it's a fucking mess. The second interview, which we'll hear in two weeks, is when they're, like, like the detectives say on the stands. The story changed because we confronted him with the cell phone records. And now they're trying to completely change the story to match this. Like, there's, there's not a question about whether Jay's story corroborates the cell records or if Jay's story was created from the cell record. It literally, that's what happened. The police say that's what happened. We confronted him with the cell phone records, and that caused the story to change now. But in that one, they've got a big-ass problem, which you'll hear about in detail later, in that Adnan called Jay to come get him after 345, but there's no call on the call log after 345. It never happened. There's a 315 call that's incoming, and that's another thing. The fact that they never even got who the incoming call numbers are for. They could have got that back then. They didn't. It just says incoming. They didn't get the full call detail report where they could see all all that stuff. But you got the 315 call, and then at 321, Jay calls Jen when he's supposed to be at Jen's house, and then 11 minutes later is the Nisha call, and then the next call is at like 358, I think? After that, and to like some guy named Phil, there's no call. Jen and Jay both say it's at least 3.30. The call was supposed to come at 3.30. It didn't come. And at like 3.45, sometime after there's different versions of how the call comes in. But there's no call on the log. So then like, and I'll quote it in the episode when you get to it, when you get to that part. Jay trying to explain both the incoming calls that are on the log and how Adnan called him a time when there's no call on the call log is like inception. I mean, okay. you're just like, huh? Yeah, they called and then, and yeah, no, and then, and then he called to make sure the phone was on. And then he called the second time so I could tell him that I was at Jen's. And then he called a third time uh, to tell me, he uh, doesn't even say what the third one was for. And then the fourth time, and then he, he called on Jen's landline actually with the come get me call. But so, yeah, he called and then I had left Jen's house and that's when he called me to come get him. On Jen's landline after I left. What a the mess. fact that people, anybody would look at that and be like, oh, that's a basic story there. It's what? ridiculous. So I, I have a question, sheerly out of ignorance of this case to myself. Is, is Jen alive still? Is she deceased? Yeah. No, she's alive. Ha, has any journalist gone on the record with her at all? I mean, has she gone on the record with you or Undisclosed or anybody no. since? I mean, she's in I the documentary. Yeah, I reached out to her. She wouldn't talk to me. She did talk to the documentary crew. It's probably 2016, 2017 when they did that interview. Okay. I've actually had more conversations with Jay than Jen. Like Jen's never. Okay. She might've told me to fuck off or something like that. I think I don't remember if she ever responded to, to me or not, but I never got any information out of her. Okay. I was just curious if she ever has been on the record since the, any of this. So as far as I know, just the HBO doc, did she do an intercept interview too? No, she I didn't. I don't did think she? so. No, I think it was just Jay. Poor Jen. See, I'm learning things. I'm trying to learn what a things mess. here. What a mess. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Hope had this question. We've talked about it before. just wanted to acknowledge. Again, Hope, one of those people who has a question about the inconsistency and, wait, you had nothing to do with it, but your fingerprints are on the shovels. What's just discrepancies like that? I can help Jay out with that one, if this helps anybody. Because that whole gets weird, because Jen says that she didn't know Jay had anything to do with the burial until two weeks before the trial, a year later. But that night, she was helping him wipe fingerprints off the shovel. This is all I can come up with. Is for it, it, it just, she wasn't just, helping. She was standing guard. Standing guard. 
just just to show you that I do try, like I'm genuinely try to see the both sides of all this stuff. I can come up with an excuse for that. They were Jay's shovels, so they were Jay's shovels from his house. So he maybe was worried his fingerprints were on. That's, okay, that's the a very fair assumption. Yeah, because Adnan was wearing bright red gloves. Uh, I do want to point out, and I and I'm sorry, Carrie, if you're a newcomer, I feel like I haven't seen you in the chat before, but you're on fire today. Oh, and Carrie's awesome. Carrie's a bit of a genius. Yeah, so she just put it. I was talking about the that I I seem to remember they never actually got Jen's pager number. And the Carrie said that in the case file, this the subpoena for the pager number is in the record, but not the results, which would have had the owner and the numbers name listed who owned the pager. That's I remember there was something wonky about it. There was like like there was never verified. But again, go back to everything else we know about these detectives. They subpoena the pager records for that phone number. And then never disclosed who they belong to. They never put the results of that subpoena in the file. Doesn't that seem a little suspicious? It does. It seems very suspicious. Yeah. It's crazy because like, and this is a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember when I was thinking this stuff through a long time ago. Like, why do we think that was Jen's pager? Because mm. when I was going through the case file, like there's, it's never in there. Like we never see that it's Jen's pager. It's like, oh, because Jay said he paid Jen and therefore that must be Jen's pager number. Carrie says uh, she has have. a theory that Jen's pager number might actually be Hayes' pager number. She's going to drop that theory in Facebook. Ooh, I'm anxious to hear that. I mean, just on its face, it's possible, right? Yeah. The, you know, because Jen, Jen is paged after the call. That the, the page of Jen is at 7 o'clock, which is after Adnan gets the call from Adcock. And I believe, I don't think Adnan has, has ever said that he specifically didn't page Hay. I think all he said is he, he didn't remember if he ever paged her or not, paged Hay. That would really shoot a hole in their case if he found out that that pager number actually belonged to Heyman Lee mm. and that Adnan was paging Hay at seven o'clock and not Jay paging Jen. But Talk about we'll a bombshell. Robin also had similar questions about the wiping off of the shovels. Robin, great question. You know, we've sort of answered at this point. Laura O, this takes us back to what you were just talking about. So uh, some of this has been addressed, maybe all of it. But if you have anything you want to add, Laura says, Jen and Jay have always insisted Jay left her house at after 3.30 or 3.45, beginning with this interview in which she was adamant that it was after 3.45. She continued to insist this in her court testimony, even though the phone pings prove Jay left much earlier and prosecutors admitted in their closing that he left shortly after 2.36. Additionally, there wasn't a 3.45 come and get me call on the cell, as Jay said, and he testified that the call did not go to Jen's house. If she was willing to modify other parts of her story, and Jay had no problem changing his story to match an agreed-upon narrative, why not this one that so obviously contradicts the evidence and what prosecutors wanted them to say? Could they be defiantly defending an alibi because they need to, or at least because Jay needs to? I used to think that. I don't anymore. I don't know the answer as to why they have always said it was that time. Other than if, if, if we're living in a world where Jen believed Jay, like the night before her interview, Jay tells her this is what happened when I was at you. You, you remember you probably don't remember, but I was at your house that that one day I had his car and he called me. And I left. And so if if we're in this world where Jen's like, I do remember that. I remember that happening. That was what, you know, that's what happened. He killed, he killed Hay that day, whatever. That Then Jen starts to think back, well, you know, when she's asked by the police, because that's the first interview we have on record. She's asked by the police, when did, you know, when did that call come in? And she just starts thinking through, like, like this part of the, part of the interview reads very true to me. She's doing the things that we want people to do. Try to find an anchor. 
And she's like three third, three, four. Yeah, it would have been closer to four, probably four feet. Cause I know that I had to leave like right after Jay left, I had to leave to go pick my parents up downtown. I know when they get off work. So I know I left at four 15. It was right before that. So three 45, four o'clock. So that's the first interview that we have on record. They have a recording of her breaking down exactly why she knows it's that time. And so, and then, and then in Jay's first recorded interview, he's giving a story where he's trying to match up the stuff that he told Jen, Jen told the police, you, know, you can give or take what you believe about how much the police were guiding Jay in that interview. They don't have a full understanding of the cell records at this point. Jen has said the call came in at 345. So Jay says, yeah, I was waiting for the call about 330. It was late. And then it was 340. So now you have the only consistent thing between those two statements is that it, that call came after 330. So that becomes very difficult to backtrack from. You can get Jay to change his story. They did get Jay change it, to change his story repeatedly. Jay knows he's part of the game, right? So, for example, Jay's first interview. After I picked Adnan up for track practice, we went to McDonald's. He was breaking his fast. We got some food and the cop called. Then they look at the cell locations and they think the call wasn't at McDonald's, but the call was out near Christie's house. So then Jay's just like, cool. Yeah, we didn't go to McDonald's. I lied. We went to Christie's house and that's where we were when we got Adcock's call. Jay's playing the game. Right. Jay's willing to change the story. Jen is not playing the game. Jen gave her story that she believed Jay had told her the truth. She said it with an attorney. She's represented by an attorney, which means the police are not allowed to go back to her without her attorney, which means they can't go back to Jen and say, we need you to change that story to 315. They can't do that. She's represented by an attorney now, even if it is a real estate attorney. She's not part of the game. Hmm. And so that becomes this thing that they can't get away from because in order to change that time, you got to get Jen to change the time and they can't do that. Hmm. This is in the same kind of field. Shannon says, is there another take about Jay's pre-interview notes? Jay says he was at the school at 2.40 to drop off Adnan's car or maybe give Adnan a ride. He says he received a ride from Jeff to pick him up and take him to the high school again. Why would he need a ride if he had Adnan's car? Why did he drop it off and then get it again? Supposedly, he was at Jen's during this time, yet Jay called Jen at 321, even though they both consistently say he was there until 3.30, 3.45. Obviously, we've been talking about this. Shannon says, I think Susan Simpson talked about it a bit, and it was briefly mentioned in the case against, but I'm wondering what your take is. So this is still swirling around the same kind of stuff, but with these mentions about the pre-interview notes. Yeah. And that, I mean, let's get into Jay's testimony or statement, which is next week, but I didn't address the pre-interview notes. So I will prelude that here because the whole story is bullshit. <laughs> the way this transpired, if you only look at the police record, right? So like, forget... The two times sis, you know, Jay's boss said that Jay was in there talking to him. Forget the fact that Ernest Carter saw him talking to the police. Forget the part that Jay said he was talking to the police all those times before that. Forget the part that they knew Jen's name when they went there and that they went to Jen before Jay for some weird reason. And the fact that Jen said they already had talked to somebody before they talked to her. Forget all that. Just look at the record. On the record, what you have is Jay's pre-interview notes where he tells them a complete nonsense bullshit story where he's at the library and he drops a car and then some guy named Jeff picks him up and then he leaves, but then he goes back for it. Like nothing's making sense. Then he workshops that story. They turn the tape on. He tells a new version of the story that doesn't involve the library or Jeff or any of that stuff. Then two weeks later, he goes back and tells 
another version of the story that completely changes from the next one. So like, even if you only believe what's in the record, this story was Jay told complete nonsense. He got confronted with the cell phone records, changed his nonsense to different nonsense that he thought fit the record. Then they get a better understanding of the cell records and they change that nonsense to new nonsense that closer to fits the, the cell phone records, but still doesn't. So like, why did he say that Jeff was there and the library was there? Because the story was not, none of it's true because we know that Adnan was at the guidance counselor's office. And then he was at track practice. Like the evidence is there. Adnan didn't leave. None of this is true. And Jay is trying to tell a story to the police that Adnan killed Hay when Adnan didn't kill Hay. So everything is going to be made up. And then they use the cell phone records to try to make it more of a believable story. Yeah, I don't even remember the pre-interview notes well enough. I The only thing that I thought was like, wait, is Jeff Jen's brother? So maybe there's still some connection to... No, her brother is Mark. Okay, great. While you're looking at the next question real quick, Carrie in the chat said, if that number is actually Hayes Pager, does that help Adnan's case? I mean, it would have because one of the big things that the prosecution hit on at the trial was that Adnan never tried to page Hay. If he didn't know she was dead, then why did he never try to contact her? He never tried to contact her because he knew she was dead. So it would, at the very least, it would have taken that argument away. Then they would have spun it to, he paged her to make it look like he didn't know that she was dead. Sure. This is actually our last question, and it is a bit of a, a revisit to what we were just talking about some moments ago which is takes us back to Jen saying that she was unaware that Jay knew where the body was. Uh, Jen says that she was unaware that Jay knew where the body was buried until about two weeks before the trial. You mentioned that, Bob, and that that continues to strike Nikki as odd, but that she, you know, also gets kind of locked up with this idea of Jen saying that she was out when a news broadcast said a body had been found and that Jen told the friend that, you know, it was hay. And so this is just another one of those things where, they never check whether that happened or not, but it remains this kind of compelling thing that sort of nags at you because you tell yourself, well, why Why would she say she told someone else if she didn't, you know, like I really understand and I, you've said this as well. I really understand why Jen is a sticking point for people. I've, I absolutely do. Yeah. It totally makes sense that these would be the things that would really bother you because we're, you're trying to look at this case through the lens of well, why would Jen, you know, do any of this? Why would she say any of this until you start kind of unpacking it? And then you see that, well, it's not as big of a problem when they don't even verify that that actually happened. Um, Yeah. But I get it. Jen, like I said, Jen in a vacuum is tough. It's hard to explain. I mean, you still have all the, all the, the, the fact that none of this stuff jives with you know like her story doesn't matter despite that people say it does her story doesn't match jay's story but yeah jen's story is tough why would she say that i think it's probably maybe something along the lines of what you mentioned earlier janet where it was like you know did you tell anybody else you know maybe maybe you told somebody else and maybe they went and talked to that person and found out that all we know is we don't have record and and the thing is we'd be having a different conversation had they done that If, if it was jen said she told this other person about the murder and that adnan killed hay a month before this. And then they went and found that person. They're like, yeah, she told me that Adnan killed Hay a long time ago. We'd be having a different conversation, but it just, it just adds onto it when you have all these other problems. And then it's like, oh, there's something that they could have used to prove that something here is legit. And they didn't. 
And in my opinion, there's a reason they didn't because they knew it wasn't legit. Well, and just to give Jen some some benefit of the doubt, too, depending on what her relationship with law enforcement has been or what her experiences have been. You know, if you have a ride or die friend and you believe them to be a, a, a good person, whether or not they tell fibs once in a while or whatever, and you feel like you've been given the power to help save their life, possibly literally, depending on how hard yeah. she believes the police are going at Jay for murder. Boy, it starts to make a lot more sense to me. If yeah, she believes, and, and also, if she we, believes he didn't have anything to do with it, but she believes she has to help him to save him, it's not that hard to imagine. Yeah, and also we learned from from Jay's attorney Anna Benaroya when she was interviewed on Undisclosed that they they were threatening Jay with the death penalty. Right? Would you say saving his life, literally saving his life? Yes. Yeah, they I mean, they yeah. threatened him with the death penalty, and I think that's it. I want to touch on a couple things real quick from the YouTube chat before we wrap things up. Chrissy pointed out that uh, Jeff was Christie's boyfriend. Oh, there you and go. Thank that's you. right. That's where we heard that name before. That's super. Uh, and also, Carrie mentioned she said it would, regarding if that was actually Hayes' pager number, she said, how would that change his Adnan's case? She said, it would also mean that Adnan was trying to page Hay while he was burying the body, according to the prosecution. Sort of, but that's another one of the huge sticking points is that call was outgoing, which pinged a tower at up by Woodlawn. It was like... That's one of the reasons we know the story is bullshit, because it's 701 when that call ended, the phone was up by Woodlawn. It wasn't in Lincoln Park. It wasn't at the park and ride. It wasn't where her car was. It was in none of those places. So we know that like they couldn't go get the car until after that. And there's only eight minutes left to go get the car and then go to Lincoln Park. So yeah, in a lot of ways, everything just falls apart. And with that, we're over over an hour, so we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. Zach, really looking forward to you hearing uh, the next two episodes. Where you finally get to hear about this Jay guy we've been talking I know, I, about. I have actually been writing down Jay questions on the <laughs> sheet over here during the podcast that I figured I shouldn't bring up today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got two weeks of Jay coming up. They did it in one episode. I did a full episode analyzing Jay's first interview. And then the next episode is analyzing his second interview. So all that's coming up. want to thank all of you guys for listening. Thanks to all of our patrons. Thank you all in the YouTube chat for joining in and participating. And... uh Especially Carrie. Carrie was on fire today. Great job, Carrie. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truth and justice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. 
Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Barney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I was told that one of the claps was not resonant enough in the last recording, so I really wanted to make sure to crack that clap. This time, yeah. Did the editor really get on you? The editor was, yeah. I got it. Was given a hard time. How do you how do you pronounce his name? B Randon. B Randon. Yeah, B Randon. B Randon. We just call him Rand for short. Mm -hmm. B Rand.